Greetings and welcome to Smart Loving Conversations, the place where we discuss all things Catholic marriage. I'm Francine Parola. And I'm Laura Kane from Smart Loving, a global network that accompanies couples as we together explore how to maximise the good times and learn from the bad ones. With our guests, we explore love, marriage, family and living the Catholic faith, setting our sights on heaven while keeping our feet on the ground or in the mud and muck that life throws our way. We've been there and so have our guests. Join us for better and for worse as we dive deep into real life conversations of struggle and triumph. Welcome friends and listeners to Radio Maria Australia and to Smart Loving Conversations. This episode, we're talking about how to help a marriage in trouble. But first, we want to introduce our guest, Philippa Caulfield. Welcome back to the show. Philip, with her husband, Luke, are Smart Loving super sponsors. They've been accompanying engaged couples for over 10 years and have featured in some of the Smart Loving promotional videos too. Pip also helped to launch our program, The Marriage Kit. And she and Luke live in Sydney with their four children. And you might hear Theo on the recording uh, today because he's just woken up from his nap. So if you hear some cute baby noises, that's little baby Theo. Welcome, Kip. Welcome, Theo. Thank you. It's really good to be back. So Fran and Pip, before we get into the topic, which is how to help a marriage in trouble, I just wanted to ask, how has your walk been with the Lord these past days? Uh, look, you know, it's I love this part of the, of the um, chat that we have. Um, I've had lots of additional unexpected opportunities for adoration of the Blessed Sacrament this week in particular. And it's been a really pleasant surprise. They just seem to have popped up in opportunities you know on my normal I haven't gone out to seek them necessarily just been my normal day-to-day and I've, I've really taken advantage of that and it's definitely been needed we're in a bit of a lots of transitions in our family at the moment for myself personally and our two eldest children so time's been such a gift and and I really sense that God has moved my heart to spend more time with him in those they're, they're moments that feel like they've been small stolen away moments so it's a bit of a solace amidst all of those challenges it's been lovely Beautiful. I feel like I'm a little bit on the back foot at the moment. I've, I've had developed um, some back pain that's kind of like putting pain down right into my lower butt, lower back. And I've been seeing the physio, but because I try to integrate a little bit of exercise with my prayer life, it kind of feels like it's all been disrupted. And I'm really distracted with the pain. It's waking me in the middle of the night and, and stuff like that. And and I used to kind of just go, okay, pain, go to the Lord. Just let's bring this in prayer. And I've got out of the rhythm and out of the habit. So I'm feeling like I just need to knuckle down and remember that the Lord's first, no matter what the circumstances are, put the Lord back in the driver's seat a little bit more. He's not completely absent, but or not completely negligent, but it's just the rhythm has been broken a bit. Mm, Sorry to hear that, Fran. Pain is not fun. I guess my walk with the Lord this week, I've been quite inspired. There's a conference happening at the moment, an online conference called Evangelize run by the National Centre for Evangelization. And I always get a bit of a conference high and a bit of a buzz when you're hearing different inputs and different topics, something a bit different to your normal nine to five. So yeah, it's always inspiring hearing new ideas and what other people are doing in the space of serving the Lord. So that's been really, really good. Yeah, we, we need that community input, don't we? Mm-hmm. It's easy to convince ourselves we can do it alone, but need others, need the community. Absolutely. So should we dive in? Yes. Yeah, let's unpack so, this topic. Yeah, so how to help a marriage in trouble. We've got a couple of different ideas we want to visit over the next hour or so. And the first one is to challenge 
what we call the marriage masquerade. So this is the idea that we, we're, out, we're in the world as couples and families and projecting out to everybody that everything is like a fairy tale. It's kind of like putting up a mask that, hey, nothing to see here, it's all good, everything's fine between us. And I guess one of the things that we think this needs to be challenged for a couple of things, one is is that it just feeds a culture of silence and shame because couples can feel really alone and isolated and, like, they're the only ones that they're having some difficulties in their marriage and it's really normal and really common and we all go through periods where we're having some challenges and some difficulties and feeling like the marriage is not doing so well. But it can feel like we're the only ones. If everybody else has got that mask on, we can feel like we're the only one. So I think that's a, a really one. The other one is is that it feeds then this tendency to catastrophize. Um, so we got this uh, from our colleague and friend, family therapist in the United States, Dr. Bill Doherty, and he used the analogy of you know couples run into a bit of a speed hump and they think they've got terminal cancer. They've been, they've actually only just got a common cold equivalent, but because then it's not normal, like the difficulties are not spoken about and not kind of normalised, that can catastrophise the situation. Uh, and it's particularly common in church communities because we have such a value and such a reverence for marriage and uh, we want to, you know, we, we have such a, a sense of commitment to supporting marriage that the privacy and discretion thing versus you know, sort of being honest and open about what we're doing sort of becomes a bit of a challenge. And, and look, that happens in the social media stuff as well. Like, haven't we all heard about that? You know, the perfect life that's portrayed on Facebook is nowhere near what it's like in ordinary life for the influencer and so on. Um, so I don't know, what, what are your thoughts and ideas around that? So look, I, I think, gosh, friend, so true. It really is true. Um, I think I've got a couple of, of thoughts that come to mind. I think the first one is that we do need to normalise those marriage seasons. Um, they they absolutely happen and we need to value when people share of their struggles that they've overcome so there is so much richness and and value and so much learning that that we can really gain from couples that are that are brave enough I think to share that because it is quite brave it's you know putting yourself out there and you know with something if you're sharing a struggle that's personal but that you've overcome but it's not just in this in that sharing it really creates that sense of connection with others in the community but it also shows that it's possible it's normal the struggles are normal depending on the the depth of the struggle it is possible to to repair and to come back closer together so that's sort of the first thing that I'd thought I wanted to really touch on your your point of that marriage masquerade of feeding that culture of silence and shame it's just incredibly damaging really really dangerous actually that thought and that yeah kind of mindset because I think if couples realize that struggles are normal they are to be expected then there isn't this big shock that as you said Fran then leads into this you know catastrophizing that can so easily happen but unfortunately that can also lead to some people giving up hope because they just don't see that the shock is so big that they they move into despair which is, and I know it sounds a little bit, you know, jumping from, you know, zero to 100, but it really does happen. We've seen it and experienced it in, in couples, you know, that, that we've either mentored or, or, you know, our friends as well. It's really quite hard. You know, when people see it or couples see it as that they're having struggles, 
and they can feel like they're the only ones because it's quite isolating. Mm-hmm. If they struggle with, you know, for example, anger, resentment, or, or even a particular issue, we found that couples are reluctant to seek out help because of that shame. Um, they internalise that, you know, oh, it must be me, or we're the only ones having the problem. They can really internalise that and take on a burden that's actually not necessary. It, yeah. You know, it's, it's very normal. Um, but I think, there you go, Thea's made his appearance. Yeah, I, think, yeah. <laughs> um, I think the marriage masquerade perpetuates and layers on top of any particular personal issues that someone might have or might be dealing with. There might already be some issue that they're trying to to manage. And then again, because their marriage is struggling, it's another layer. And so that those feelings of despair can become heavier and heavier. So, you know, I just wanted to share a little bit more on that because it, it's it really does happen. Yeah, and we both, I think we've all at various stages encountered that yeah. dynamic in our own yeah. marriages at different different times. That sense of, I don't want to bring this up with, say, even just a, a close friend because of how it might appear, the fear of that, of judgment. And when the whole culture is, it's that delicate balance between we really want to celebrate and honour and reverence marriage and how it's in its ideal state. But the flip side or the shadow side of that is that it can make us very reluctant to um, own up to admit when we're not fulfilling it. And it's not just in marriage, it's in all things of the, the life of sin and the life of the faith is that there's, we all fail. The shame keeps us silent or sometimes or from seeking help as well. Absolutely. Um, you know, that Brene Brown quote comes to mind that shame doesn't exist or can't exist in the in the darkness. It's when struggle is shared, it's when light is brought into that, that, you know, those lies are exposed. And so, you know, I think of that exactly as, as, you, as you've just shared, Fran, that knowing that those struggles are real, but sharing that with safe, trusted people, because we do need to share with safe, trusted people. We need to try and be safe, trusted people ourselves for others to to share with us but that's when light is brought to an issue that's when shame can no longer live or breed and that's when that sense of aloneness and isolation dissipates and we need that knowledge so Laura what about you I just love the idea of seasons so you know if you can recognize and talk to each other as a couple and say oh, we were in a season of summer now, you know, what a beautiful, great couple of months we've had. And then, you know, if there is a bit of stress from external pressures or something going on in the home, then, you know, look, we're dealing with a season of winter and cold and frosty, but I know that we've had other seasons. So I like that analogy and recognising that and saying perhaps we're in a in a season that we, we will overcome. And I guess the other thing I was thinking when you were both talking was just being proactive in your marriage. So, the relationship science and um, research shows that if you invest at least eight hours a year in your relationship, like education and learning, you effectively inoculate yourself from a divorce or from separation. Obviously, that's not always the case, but just being proactive and looking for ways to continue growing, we can be better at our careers and you know do these little extra courses on the side to improve our skills. You can also improve, be a better wife, be a better husband, be a better listener a better communicator. So I think if you're coasting along in your relationship and you haven't made any time investment or signed yourself up for a learning experience or a course or a retreat recently, mm-hmm. you're probably staying static or slipping backwards rather than moving forward in your relationship. So we need to be vigilant and proactive and don't wait until you have some relationship <laughs> breakdown. If you have an amazing car, you know, a really expensive, nice car, you don't wait till there's smoke, smoke coming, coming out, out of the hood or something. Yeah. <laughs> you, you go to the dealership, you get it serviced regularly. So in the same way, we need to care for our most precious 
you know, relationship, our marriage? Certainly from Byron and our point of view, it's often been on those times where we've been doing one of those retreats that we've been able to actually face into something that was one of those little hidden shame, suppressed things that we needed to address. And if and because we were able to bring it up before it grew into disproportionate trouble, we were able to deal with it. It's just being proactive, you're right, is a real winner. So if your marriage is struggling, what do you do? How does a couple move forward from that? Okay, we recognise we're all going to be there at some stage if we haven't already. And and I guess my first couple of thoughts, and I'll hand it over to you ladies to to pat it out, is firstly just to destigmatise getting help. So again, just speaking into that whole culture of shame, so to normalise it a little bit, and sometimes getting help for simpler things. Like often we think, oh well, I'll go to a professional when I have a really serious problem. I don't need to do it for this. It's just a little thing. And yet sometimes I think if we can normalise getting help even for the little things, it makes it easier. It's like when you already have a doctor, when you've got to find a doctor, you haven't got a GP or something, you can find a doctor. It's just the startup energy is so intense. Not only, can I just bring up and make an appointment? I actually have to research and find who's a good one and and so on. So I think if, if we can destigmatise getting help and, and particularly when things are little, is one thing. And that also avoids leaving it too late. There's an assumption, I think, that everybody knows how to do marriage. And yet Byron, my husband, likes to talk about, you know, his experience. He was, you know, we all know how to run, right? But who doesn't know how to run? I mean, if you're older than, you know, two and a half, you've usually learned how to run. But he did this training session once. He was on a touch footy team and one of their players was a semi, not semi-professional, but it was more than just your amateur um, sprinter. And he offered to do some sprint training with them. And they went to an athletics training track and he showed them how to move their body and their knee and picking up their feet and he said it felt completely unnatural but it made such a difference to actually the pace that you'd go at and he said I never would have thought that there was a technique to running that wasn't mm. just instinctual and I think it's a really good kind of analogy for what we're talking about here that we just assume that being in a relationship is all just spontaneous and natural we learn how to do it in our teenage years but actually there is an elite level that we want to aim for but sometimes we need to get some expert input and there can be a variety of ways to get that there's obviously the couple counselling and that's the first thing most people think of but it's often not the easiest to access Relationship education um, is much more readily available. It can be through a self-help book or a podcast, online or in person. And you know, as everybody knows, our Smart Loving courses are all available online. There's healing ministry and prayer ministry that's available in many places, dioceses and parishes. And community support, things like 12-step programs or more targeted things for, for couples, are things that come to mind for me. But you ladies, what have you got, ideas have you got for couples that are looking for help? Look, they're all really important, Fran, so thank you for sharing them. Look, yes, yes, yes to all of the above, <laughs> I think is, is is the first thing. But if I take a little bit more of just sort of delving a bit more into that therapy, um, you know, counselling space, absolutely, you know, couples counselling is, is, you're right, most people think of that first. But I think for starters, whether it's couple or individual counselling, because that mo- a lot of the time it is an individual thing as well as a couple thing, and sometimes the individual counselling needs to take place before the couple counselling, even though maybe couples might initially go say, look, this is the issue. A lot of the time it tends to not just be that issue. Uh, it tends to be other things. But not all counselling is equal. It really, really isn't. I mean, I know in my personal experience, um, it absolutely hasn't been. And we've obviously been Catholic, considered someone that would support our Catholic understanding of marriage. I know I was really concerned one time. I didn't want to be talked out of marriage. I was just so petrified that if I went to someone you know, that I wasn't aware of or their their approach to, to relationships and marriage in particular, I just didn't want to be encouraged 
that way, regardless of, you know, what what issue we might have been facing. So that, that was definitely on my mind. I know it's on, on the mind of a lot of couples that we've spoken to. I think I've already mentioned that, that counselling for couples is different to individuals and that's really important to, to consider. And, and I think counselling, sometimes you need a counsellor, sometimes you need a psychologist, sometimes you need a psychotherapist. There's lots of different specialisations within that and it is up to the, I suppose, individual issue. So here we go, Theo's um, adding his uh, points in again. But it really is up to that individual because, you know, there could be an underlying trauma that could be discovered uh, there could be an addiction. There's lots of things that actually don't always present themselves as that initially. It's actually more of that initial first behaviour. So, yeah, I think it's that's... It's almost like the problem is a bit of a symptom for something else. Correct. And you can kind of put a Band-Aid on the problem and kind of get some resolution there, but it'll, the issue the, the issue at the root of it is not addressed. It'll emerge somewhere else in some other form yeah absolutely you know what we do what we um, definitely encourage uh, couples to do is to do everything as much as you can while you're single engaged in those early years of marriage you tend to not have as many constraints uh, particularly in, in terms of time and you know we found that you're being able to invest in that has been a real help for us in kind of you know navigating issue we've been able to sort of navigate smaller issues with a lot more ease and we've been had the chance to practice them before other you know challenges have come along so uh, that's been good I think you know knowing that God wants healthy flourishing life-giving marriages and he wants marriage he wants that for us and marriage can be beautiful even if you are struggling right now but we also can't take such a spiritual approach that we just leave it to God and that's it that we don't actually have to learn anything or you know kind of develop ourselves and that's really important I, I think just as a sort of starting point we found that to be quite important prayer ministry and healing gosh is, is just so vital also self the sacraments and confession uh, yeah. and spiritual guidance so I think we need to unpack that a little bit more but maybe right now let's take a break and we'll be back shortly welcome back you're listening to smart loving conversations on Radio Maria Australia We've been talking about how to help a marriage in trouble and we're ready to talk more about practical things that we can do to help a couple or a spouse who might be experiencing some difficulties. So a few do's and don'ts, I suppose, is what I'm thinking about here, ladies. One of just the really impactful marriage therapists on us, an American author by the name of Michelle Weiner-Davis, talked about guerrilla divorce busters. She's actually known as the divorce buster and she's had a lot of success in helping usually individual spouses recover their marriage. But the idea of the guerrilla divorce busters is a community safety net that's kind of just made up of people in our communities, we're alert to the signs of trouble, things like a, a wife or a husband just sort of making complaints or flirting or avoiding going home, avoiding their spouse, persistent hostility, coldness, cynical jokes, those kind of things that being aware that they're kind of some of the first symptoms, that there's things are not quite right at home, and then being equipped with some basic skills, many of which are just common sense, but also you know, some things we could take them up a next level with a little bit of input that we could then interact with people in those situations to help sort of nip the in the bud a little bit. So some do's. Pip, do you want to lead us off? What what do you think is good things to do as somebody who's trying to help? So not somebody who's experiencing trouble, but detecting that somebody else needs some help. Yeah, absolutely, friend. There's there's definitely some do's that that I'd share. Um, Look, the first one is empathy. You're really trying to be empathetic. And what that really involves is validating the emotions and experience of the person who's sharing, of your friend. So, but it's validating their emotions and their experience to really try and be present and listen. And 
I would really encourage people to be mindful of the language that they're using here. So it's focusing on your friend and their feeling of sadness or anger or, you know, resentment, whatever that feeling might be that they are experiencing, not on the spouse or the situation that they've shared. Because obviously we need to be mindful that we are actually only hearing one, one side of the story, no matter what is being shared. So that's really, you know, essentially just trying to be as empathetic as you possibly can be. I would encourage people to advocate for the marriage and the priority of children. Um, this is obviously going to depend on what is being shared, right? Um, so it, it is going to depend on that. But, that you know, marriage is something that can be supported um, and that children are they are important. Praying with them, um, not just for them. That's a huge one because I'm making sure that people can actually do that and offer to do on the spot. <laughs> if yep. you're there and you're sitting at the kitchen table with a cup of tea, do it straight away. Yeah. Look, a big one would be practical support, oh. meals, babysitting, any anything that would help or alleviate an external pressure, <laughs> groceries, appointments, anything along those lines that, that could really help kind of take away any pressure or just help in some way. And then just remembering that it's the Lord's job, um, what, what's going on here, and that you, we do need to refer people to, to professional help when needed. So, yeah, look, knowing that it's, it doesn't rely on our shoulders. Well, for the don'ts, I'd suggest, you know, don't take sides. So remember you're only hearing one side of the story. Sometimes when a friend has come to me and are sharing negative experiences of the marriage, I'll try and change their thinking as well. So I'll say, tell me three great things about your husband now. I know that you're not too happy with him at the moment, but think of three good things. It's that kind of breaks that that negative cycle. Don't pile on the absent spouse or make judgments. Like you want to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I guess another one is like not making it about, oh, I know, I'm making it about your difficulties and sharing your own struggles. You just want to listen. Another not to do is to say something cliche like, oh, I know how you feel because, look, you, you probably don't know how they feel and their experiences might be totally different to yours. So that can be annoying. And then I guess don't encourage sin or revenge action to, to spite the the other spouse to side with your friend that's just going to be a race to the bottom and we want to as friends uh, as a you know Christian friendship to pull people up and encourage people to aim for heaven one more I just missed one as well another one don't impose your will so you've got to respect their freedom and yeah that's really important too to take action themselves just listening to you say some of those I'm thinking back on some of the interactions I've had with people over the years and thought, oh, ouch, you know, I did that sometimes, that kind of thing. Somebody comes to talk to me about their difficulties and I turn it into, you know, oh, yes, I know how you feel. This happened to me as well and this is this, he said this and he did that and I'm doing all the wrong things and that kind of spontaneous attempt to try and connect with their experience. I've turned it into something about me rather than maintaining a focus on helping them validating their experience and I guess that's the other thing that uh, can sometimes be a bit of sensitivity for people is that if you're hearing something and you're thinking well I know his wife or her husband and they're not that bad we can feel kind of conflicted around empathizing with them but the, the trick is is to empathize with the feelings but not be necessarily condoning the interpretation or the judgment on the person and so there's a way, I think there is a way to say that must be really hard and really painful for you to experience that. I wonder if there is another aspect to another side to, or I wonder how your husband or your wife is feeling about all the situation and kind of just, there is a way I think to gently, I guess, temper the the sense that because I'm validating your feelings, I'm ex- agreeing that your interpretation of the situation is correct. 
which it often there is, and I know I've been in situations where I've been thinking, oh, but what about? So I don't know, Pip, have you had any experience like that? Yes, it's so easy to do. It's so easy to do. To uh, you're unintentionally, well, you're trying to be empathetic, and then you're unintentionally, mm. you know, supporting, uh, or your friend is also interpreted that you're supporting their side, and gosh, it's really difficult. And I know I see in myself, you know, in my very enthusiastic kind of youth, I would say um, that you know I've done things like that too, and I think it's only in learning, right? That any experience that you look back and go okay well maybe that wasn't so helpful but now I know that you know maybe this is something a little more helpful more helpful for them in their current situation so yeah Fran I just I really appreciate what you're saying there and and it is important and I think it does take a certain level of maturity and also connection of friendship to maybe say you know I wonder if there is something else going on there you know, I know something that, you know, I have I have shared with friends is, you know, what are you doing for yourself? That's really hard. But, you know, how are you caring for yourself at this time? Just really, I think, kind of looking at that self-care aspect as in bringing it back to them that, okay, this is obviously really hard for you. What's a way that you can, you know, de-escalate yourself or, or calm yourself down or, or bring yourself back to that little bit of a sense of equilibrium so that next time when you're interacting with your spouse that you're not so heightened you're not so red flagged I suppose that you're actually able to have some sort of a a discussion so yeah and that's a great segue into the next point we wanted to make which was just the importance of forgiveness and to have in mind as a an amateur an accidental counsellor that recognising that hurts happen all the time there's disappointments arguments and stuff ups and, and sometimes serious betrayals but whether they're small or large, we need to address when there's a hurt that there's a road of trust and there's pain and the damage can accumulate if we don't forgive our spouses. And that's really, you know, the Lord calls us to forgive because he knows that it's um, not just because he wants us to be good friends with everybody, but because he knows it's better for us. And that if we hold unforgiveness and resentment in our hearts, it also puts up a barrier to our relationship with him. So the forgiveness is really a key thing for resetting a a relationship that's struggling because it allows us to release the other and also to open ourselves up to healing and to new growth. It's not the same as I'm always really keen to emphasise for people because, you know, sometimes when you're feeling really wounded and maybe even unsafe about trusting the other person because they you know they don't have necessarily confidence that they're not going to continue to do the same thing that hurts you um that it's different forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation you can't reconcile without forgiveness but you can do forgiveness as its own step on its own and i always encourage people forgiveness jesus didn't you know mandates forgiveness so we should definitely do that and that can help bring us pip as you were talking about can help de-escalate that sense of triggered sort of emotionality so that we can approach the relationship with a little more uh, rationality, a little bit calmer, and and then evaluate whether it's appropriate now to pursue reconciliation and rebuilding trust or whether we need to do a bit more work together. Laura, do you have some thoughts? Do you want to weigh in on this? Yeah, I think in, in regards to forgiveness, when somebody is reaching out for forgiveness or to make a repair attempt, it's really important you don't reject the repair attempt. So after a hurt or argument, you know, somebody usually makes a gesture of reconciliation and it could be through humour, touch, eye contact or or words and when this happens if the other person doesn't recognize or respond in a positive manner then the person who is waving that white flag feels further rejected and this can just add fuel to the fire of the argument so for example if joe and i had an argument and joe brings me a cup of herbal tea or soda water half an hour later if i'm feeling spiteful and this has happened in the past and hurt the worst way i can respond is 
I don't want that drink, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or something like that. I've really noted in myself, been married many years, that when Joe or I are making that repair attempt, whatever it is, an invitation to watch a half an hour TV show after a fight together or something like that, that you, you really want to say yes to that and not to reject the repair attempt. I found for us, like, humour is a really effective way to break the ice after mm-hmm. an argument too. Like, yeah. um you know, doing a Marge Simpson growl that I'm not happy or something, something yeah. funny like that. No, I love Lucy overreactive, like, mm, I'm, I'm annoyed at you still. Or that has um, often made Joe laugh. And then we then have broken the ice and we can do a connect hug and mm. have, having a repair attempt, apologize for whatever we said. So mm. yeah, that's, they're my tips. Thanks, Laura. Pip, do you have something else to add to forgiveness? Yes. Look, I think just a couple of thoughts. Thank you both for what you've shared already. But I know we spoke about earlier, um, you know, the prayer ministry and healing being vital. And and as part of that forgiveness, sacraments and confession are vital as well. Um, And, you know, ideally spiritual guidance, be there with a a priest that that you know and knows you too. And look, as regularly as you can. And I just encourage people to make a commitment to go once a month as a couple. Take your kids then if you, you know, if kids come along and or or you have children. I know it's hard to do, but, you know, we as Catholics, we make the commitment to going to Mass every week. So we really need, particularly in a time if things are stressful in your relationship, that's a great ability, I think, to, to bring the humility to the situation because it's really key. What we found anyway is, is key. Humility for your spiritual and relationship growth and, and confession really takes advantage of that because if there's a priest that knows you and your circumstance, that's wonderful because there's that additional layer there of spiritual guidance that, that can be given to you as, as really helpful growth. And I, just the other point that you made, Fran, about emotional healing taking time that forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation and there absolutely can be some emotional healing that might need to happen after depends obviously you know on the 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 depth of the hurt and pain experienced and sometimes you know the magnitude of the problem that can all take effect but I think it's really important to recognize that emotional um, healing work is vital to our maturity in our relationship individually and uh, as part of a couple and being able to say you know I forgive you for this but I'm still really hurt and I need time to process and work through what's come up for me because of that you know is very difficult but it it requires I think a level of maturity and we'd probably be talking about larger issues or deeper problems but it doesn't negate the need that emotional healing does take time and my experience has been that it's really important to know that Um, really important to know that it's, it's okay that it takes time Yes. But we, we don't want to stay there. There needs to be yes. action to move through that emotion or whatever you're experienced and not just stay in a place of anger and resentment because that's unfortunately is what can happen so commonly. And so just remember that it's okay that it takes time, but there needs to be action to work through it. But also as the end part, I'd really encourage people to come back together and sh- uh, as a couple and share the insights from that emotional healing. Obviously, once you're on the other side, because that creates such a beautiful, deep intimacy that can be very life-giving as a couple and sharing what you've had to deal with or manage in that particular situation or at that time of hurt, the thoughts you had about yourself, the scripts going on in in your brain, what you assumed about the other person and what their motives were. Hearing that can really, obviously on the other side and in a healthy space, it can actually really be be beautiful. I know that Luke and I have had to navigate that, but what's been lovely is that 
I've had the opportunity to experience his inner workings and understand what's he, what he's had to navigate and what has been his default thoughts, negative thoughts about himself. And it's allowed us to, I think, have the ability to treat more tenderly the emotional yeah. life of the other, to remember that it's there because it's really easy to forget. We always mm. think about how much we've been hurt. Um, and I think also just to really respect and honour the boundaries or requests we've made of the other person, to, to not have that happen again, ideally. And, and that's for the betterment of the marriage. So I just wanted to, yeah, kind of delve a little bit deeper mm. in that because I feel like it's just a little glossed over sometimes. Yeah, and that's coming from a place of powerful experience and the wisdom of having walked that path. And I guess what I'm hearing you say, Pip, and I just want to draw that out, particularly because I know this was an error that I made, is that I kept looking to Byron to be the healer. And so I would forestall my own growth and my own pursuit of wholeness, thinking, I'll wait till I can talk about it with Byron and so he can be the conduit. And that's a really lovely thing if your spouse, if you know, as the Lord sends us to each other to provide that, but it's also not realistic. Sometimes the spouse might not be able to or the circumstances might be such that we actually need somebody else. And that could be a trusted friend uh, who prays with us. It could be a therapist, uh, you know, some kind of in a professional capacity. It can be going to the sacraments. We should never, I think, stall our pursuit of wholeness and holiness thinking, oh, wait, and just and give the spouse the opportunity to do it. I think that's, uh, in my experience, is is something that is uh, a, a real risk, a, a bit of a danger. That there's plenty of opportunities. You say to come and come back afterwards from that place of wholeness, and share the encounter. Um, it often has less loading on it. It's less demanding on the spouse. Um, less accusatory. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's take a break before we get practical with a take home for our listeners. Hello and welcome back. You're listening to Smart Loving Conversations on Radio Maria Australia. We've been talking about how to help a marriage in trouble and now it's time to get practical because theory is great, but how do we take these ideas and put them into practice in our marriage, in our families and at work? So for this episode, the tool that I have to offer is what I call flash prayers. So when a situation arises, it's important to remember that we aren't doing this alone, whether we're the spouse in the difficult situation or a friend trying to help. Call on God and do it on the spot. So the whole principle of a flash prayer is that we're not kind of bookmarking it or putting it in the diary thinking, I'll pray about that when I do my rosary later tonight or when I get a mass on Sunday. It's right right here, right now, no delay. I'm calling to you, God. I need your help. Don't wait for a quiet time or a private space. Just seek God right there where we are and let him take the lead. And it can take any format. But some of the things that I can really recommend is Things like the Jesus prayer, you know, Lord Jesus, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Just that kind of recognising my own limitation and calling out to the Lord um, for his uh, mercy and strength. Um, The Holy Spirit prayer is a great one. Come, Holy Spirit, come now, come as you will. Divine mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. Or call on Mary or patron saint. It doesn't matter. Choose whatever prayer you want to use um, or even just spontaneous, Lord, I need your help now in your own kind of language and thoughts. Really, really effective to just bring God straight away into the situation rather than first thinking about our intellect or our skills or our training and trying to marshal those but to go first to God into the space so whether you're experiencing a challenge in your marriage or you're trying to help someone I just try to discipline myself to go to God first and it works because it disrupts that impulsive hit back or panic reaction it reminds us to put God in the driver's seat and that following him is more important than being right or doing it in an elegantly or professionally. It's more important than getting justice or being the hero who rescues our friend. That's always a kind of an impulse I have to sort of tame a little bit in myself. 
plus there's nine choirs of angels and an unknown number of saints just waiting to help. So, like, the, the help, the assistance available to us is really unlimited. Swing that over to you, ladies, to add your bit into it and to share and, and embellish that for our listeners. Thanks, Fran. Look, my experience has been that I say those sorts of prayers to myself in, in my head during times of conflict or, or struggle. And, look, yeah, I find that it just gives me a little bit of a pause whether I'm in the situation I need the space or I really just don't know what to do. And I tend to say things like, Mother Mary, be a mother to me now. Help me, Lord Jesus. Uh, it's really, really short. And then the other one is, you know, be with me, Mother Mary, or be with me, Lord God. And I'll, I'll pray for the other person you know, if, if I'm in a situation where I'm, I'm trying to help someone else. I'll mention their name instead. But, yeah, they, they also help me to hold space for my friends when they're sharing emotions too. So that that helps kind of, as you exactly as you said, friend, put, put God first, allow him the space, you know, allow the Holy Spirit to come in. You know, even, even while I'm listening, I can say that. I can pray that in my mind while I'm listening to them because I found that, I, I find it easier to do that than than on the spot. And, you know, I can do that whether my friend knows, you know, that I'm doing that or not either. So yeah. that's sort of my use of the prayers. I love that. That's really beautiful. On a few occasions, Joe and I have stopped and, you know, when we're, I'm just bubbling up with anger or something, I've often said, like, I feel like I'm under spiritual attack. And that kind of just even saying that, Joe's like, okay, we're aware that there's, let's bring God into it. And so we might then stop and say, Lord God, just help us be calm and give us a little bit of wisdom of how to deal with this and not say anything hurtful to one another. So yeah, for us, that's been really interesting to to just say, I think we could be under spiritual attack right now. Also, it helps me not think of Joe as my mm. adversary. Mm. He's the one getting me to heaven and I'm supposed to get him to heaven. There's something else going on that you've put the enemy as the enemy and and not your spouse. So yeah, that's my experience of how flash prayers, but before the flash prayer, just announcing it like we could be under spiritual attack right now. Let's do something to counter that. I've got to remember to 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 do it as well. So I mean I I'm generally better. This is really not great, but I'm generally better at doing this and I'm listening to my friends sharing their emotions, probably because, you know, I'm not intimately connected to them. I'm not married to them, right? They're my friend. But you know, when it's Luke, I've definitely had to train myself to remember to do it. And you know what, it's remembering, you don't need to remember to do it if you've trained yourself in the skill. I suppose back to that, you know, what I was saying earlier around us encouraging lots of young couples to, to invest in their marriage with all those skills and tools and retreats and everything early on in their marriage because you get a chance to practice it. It's this, it, the exact same with this. If you don't practice it, it's not going to come to you. So it is a matter of, of doing that too. And I particularly like this one because... It's pretty loose. I mean, it's not a it's not a prescriptive thing. It's really adaptable. Whatever kind of format or style of praying you like to do, uh, it's perfectly adaptable. But it's just that it's just that principle of make prayer the first thing we go to, not the thing we schedule down the track. And whenever I'm doing coaching sessions, and Laura, I'm sure you're the same, is after the meet and greet, it's always let's pray for a few minutes. And that's usually more than a flash prayer. It's a little bit longer, but it's again, it's that principle of saying, let's put the Lord before all of the problems because the Lord's in charge of the problems and he's in charge of the solution. And uh, I think that's, that's a general principle in life. Uh, can yeah. I do a 
to a school. Can I just say as well, in terms of we were talking about, you know, masquerading that everything's perfect, I think because Pip and Luke were our sponsor couples when we were engaged and going through the Smart Loving Engaged course. And then afterwards, we loved the experience so much that we then became sponsor couples and journeyed and accompanied other engaged couples. Then we were looking to Pip and Luke as, okay, what are we tips for being a sponsor couple? You know, how do you mentor engaged couples? And I remember, Pip, I came to you, you know, in a bit vulnerable moment and said, oh, it's so embarrassing, Pip. Joe and I always have an argument before the engaged couple rocks up at our house. And usually it's the pressure of making sure the house is clean and my anxiety, like make sure the toilet's clean and everything looks neat and tidy. We want to make a good impression. And then that causes stress. And then we have a little Barney before the engaged couple comes. And Pip, you said to me, no, Laura, like this happens to us as well. And remember, you're about to prepare a couple for a sacrament. And so there's spiritual attack there. So you sharing that with us that the same thing happens to you and you, you know, you guys have can have arguments before an engaged couple came over. That was really impactful for me. And then I shared that with Joe and we were both like, whoa. So that really helped us. And as I mentioned it before, when we're in a fight, not when we're sponsoring couples, when we're just in a fight between ourselves, noting that, hey, we could be under spiritual attack right now because your marriage is your sacrament. It's your visible sign of God. So you you are under spiritual attack at times because the devil wants to destroy those evangelizing witnesses. So being aware of that is really important. So sorry, I just wanted to thank you for sharing, Pip, about that you guys weren't this perfect couple and that because that gave me reassurance like, oh, thank God, because we're not either. <laughs> and we're all not. The marriage masquerade, sharing our vulnerabilities with one another is empowering and freeing and yeah, builds up the body of Christ rather than having these fake ideas and concepts about what marriage is, this happy, shiny people holding hands all the time. Thanks, Lauren. That's just reminding me just to put some clarity around the word spiritual warfare and spiritual attack because a lot of people assume that when we say that, they're thinking that we're saying that they are somehow possessed by the devil or they're cooperating with evil in a kind of complicit and free way and that's not usually what we're talking about in these situations there's not like there's one of us that's the enemy it's almost like the enemy gets between us and clouds and muddles up our thinking so that we're seeing and interpreting the actions of the other person in the most negative light possible rather than in a true and authentic light it's sort of almost like putting on glasses it's like they put a filter on the glasses so that we can't see the love and the beauty and the goodness in the other person as well. So it's not that like one's one's a good guy and the other's the bad guy. It just means that there's evil in the space between us that's influencing what's going on. So I found that people have kind of really objected to and I've said, I think there's a spiritual warfare going on there. So looking at the other person saying, is it him or is it me? It's like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not necessarily either one of you. It's the space between you yeah. has got polluted. So on that note, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with our Q&A. Hi there, friends. This is Radio Maria Australia, and it's time for Smart Love and Q&A. We get questions every day from wives, husbands, and couples from around the world. So what have you got for us, Laura, this time? So this is a question from an engaged couple, Emma, and she writes, my fiancé is a bit apprehensive to the whole natural contraception concept because of the conflicting schedules and cycles. He also doesn't trust it. What should we do? So I think Emma's referring there to like the fertility awareness methods. Great question yep. from Emma. 
Fran and Pip, you would probably be better speaking to this than I would. I'll throw it to you guys. Sure, thanks, Laura. Yeah, firstly, the, the natural contraception is, a, is an interesting terminology. So we, we wouldn't use the word contraception normally. We'd always say fertility awareness because it's not actually in the category. It's a it's a birth regulation method, but it's not a contraceptive method, if you like. So her point is really interesting. And I think what it points to is some misinformation or some misbeliefs around the reliability of fertility awareness methods, that the actual reliability of the modern methods is comparable to most other methods they might be considering. For example, like the pill, it's actually generally better than some barrier methods and so on. Um, modern methods are also really responsive to a regular cycle. So if they're going off information like the old rhythm method, which is I don't know, it's almost 100 years old now, I think. Like, it's a really old method that wasn't responsive to the change in cycle length. And so it had a quite a high pregnancy rate. Um, the modern methods actually are flexible and they respond to the circumstances of the individual couple. It does take a little bit of effort. But I also think sometimes people can be mis have misconceptions about the reliability of artificial contraception. Like they can think that if we take the pill, well, that we won't get pregnant. Well, that's not the case. Lots, a number of people, there is a failure rate or a pregnancy, an unexpected pregnancy rate on the on all methods, including, um, you know, people have been known to get pregnant after a vasectomy. It's, it's rare, but it does happen. So I think um, the reality is, is that if we're having sexual intercourse, pregnancy is always a possibility. And in some circumstances where we need that reliability, we can effectively use fertility awareness methods that, that's scientifically established. Great. Thanks, Fran. Look, my, my thoughts, Laura, on this would be that Emma used the word trust, um, that her fiancé doesn't trust the method. And so my first question is, you know, why doesn't he trust the method? It's absolutely fine to have questions about these sorts of things, especially if it's not something that you have any knowledge on. And so what Fran's just shared is is really important, that it's, it's important to get the right knowledge. Um, but my, my experience has been is that when most people say that they don't trust a fertility awareness method, um, it's not just that they don't understand the effectiveness of it or how to use a particular one, it's that they actually have an underlying fear or an underlying concern about children and about falling pregnant and, you know, that they're not sure that they could cope with that or that's the right thing for them right now. And so I suppose that's an underlying, you know, approach to life and the gift of life. And so I would probably just be asking some of those questions mm -hmm. because it's really important, I think, to, to share any of those fears um, as a couple. But essentially, that's been my experience. But, you know, children are a gift. Marriage is procreative and unitive. They absolutely are a gift. And so if it's a fear of, you know, maybe they can't cope with something right now or, or you know, they wanted to wait a little bit longer, just delving into that, um, you know, with someone really safe and experienced um, infertility awareness methods and in relationships um, that they might be able to support. Um, look, the other thing, just as you were talking, Pip, that came to mind is that sometimes what can be behind the concern is also the requirement for sexual restraint. When they've discerned not to have seek a pregnancy at this time, it does involve some sexual restraint over that fertile window. And there can be concern around, well, what, what impact is that going to have on our relationship? And it will have an impact, but it's not always a completely negative impact. There are some really important uh, positives around having periods within our within our marriage where there's periods of restraint and periods of, of feasting and fasting, you know, that whole principle that sometimes if you don't have the fast before the feast, you don't enjoy it as much. So we do unpack that a little bit more in the fertility course. If people do want to pursue that and understand that a little bit more, we have some really good 
uh, spiritual exercises for couples to do and to really enhance the sensuality of their marriage, particularly that are particularly helpful during those periods of restraint, that it doesn't necessarily mean that you've got to kind of put yourself in a straitjacket and not touch each other. You can still be fully present to each other, fully attuned and, uh, and attentive to each other without necessarily involving a, a sexual expression explicitly. Look, now's probably not the time to go into details, but we do explore it in full in our Smart Loving Fertility course, and we also address this topic in more depth in our blog. So if you want more on this, catch up there, or you can reach out to us through our website to, to make contact. We're happy to have a conversation with you offline. Thanks, Fran, for that. Look, if you've got questions for us, you can contact us via the Radio Maria website or visit www.smartloving.org forward slash conversations. Before we sign off, we want to share a blessing with you. This is the part of the show where we give out what we've been enjoying recently in the last month, whether it's a book, a song, a podcast, a website or a product and something that we has blessed us and that we want to share with our listeners. So Fran, what's your bless you for this podcast? I just want to call out the Hello um, Catholic Prayer app. It's sort of like a, um, audio reflections and meditations that comes from a Catholic tradition. And in particular, I've been listening to the Padre Pio. Um, they've got a Saint in Seven Days sort of series where they just unpack, they do a bit of the history and the, read some of the writings of the life of the saint. And I've just completed the Padre Pio one and it's just um, it was really, really uplifting. So I can recommend that app. Brilliant. Well, my bless you for this week because we're talking about how to help a marriage in distress. Um, we've got a wonderful course at Smart Loving called the Breakthrough Course. So if you have a friend in need of a bit of marriage support or healing and hope for their marriage, check out smartloving.org forward slash breakthrough. Yeah, thanks, Laura. My bless you this week is the Hormone Genius podcast, not to be confused with the Feminine Genius, but it's it's a wonderful, wonderful podcast that I discovered a little while ago um, and have come back to it. They've done a couple of seasons now, so that's really wonderful. And their tagline says, empowering women to become the genius of their hormones and the proud owner of their feminine design. And it's just been fascinating. I highly recommend it. it sounds Aww. great. We must look that one up. Thanks, yeah. Pip. Well, that brings us to the end of our time together, friends. You can find more information, including links to our blessings, show notes and more at smartloving.org forward slash conversations. That's www.smartloving.org forward slash conversations. We're Francine Parola and Laura came from Smart Loving with special guests, Philippa Caulfield and your beautiful baby, Theo. Thank you so much for joining us this time. And we pray that you, our listeners, will be blessed in your walk with the Lord today. And we lift you up and all your intentions to our patron saints, Our Lady Andura of Knots, pray for us. And St John Paul II, pray for us. This is Radio Maria Australia. Goodbye. Goodbye.